something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. see how smooth I got down? Like a gazelle. Um, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the <clears throat> pastors on the staff here at Church on the Trail. I'm thrilled that y'all are here. We've got a big day here on the trail today. We've got 10 folks taking the God Plunge today at the end of our worship uh, service. Nine kids and one adult. It's going to be a great, great day. Yeah, that ought to get something. Um, so look, we are, we're several weeks in now to a study that we're doing on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And last week, Richard brought uh, an outstanding message from the Lord. He was talking and walked us through the first, uh, about the first half or so of chapter 4. And we're good, today we're going to at least begin walking through the last half of chapter 4. I don't think I'm going to get through uh, all, of, all of that, but we're going to start working our way through it before though before we jump into the text today which is going to start in verse 17 I want to back up to one of Richard one of the final thoughts that Richard gave us last week and I want to elaborate on it just a little bit because I think it's very um, very appropriate for where we're going and what we're going to talk about <coughs> today and if you look at uh, starting in verse 11 uh, Ephesians 4:11, if you look on the screen here's what it says it says and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And he gave, he, the Holy Spirit, he gave, uh, he gifted the leaders of the, of, the, of the church in Ephesus, the leader of the believers in Ephesus with these gifts, to be a prophet, apostle, to be an evangelist, uh, to, to shepherd the people and to teach them. Well, why did he do that? He did that to equip the saints, to equip the believers to do ministry. And then it, uh, it goes on. And why did he do that? He did that to build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Until, to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith. He wants us to be at, together in what we believe. He wants, uh, he did this, he equipped them, or he, he equipped the leaders to equip the believers to build themselves up and to be at one, to be together, to be unified in what they believe. And then the rest of uh, verse 13, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's a, we, we need to know, we need to understand, we need to get our, our, get our arms around who Christ is. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may not be children. So that we may no longer be children uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He doesn't want us 
to, what was one of the problems in Ephesus? One of the problems was you had massive false teaching and you had people running down crazy heretical roads and he wants us not, he equips the leaders to equip the believers to not be, uh, fall prey, fall victim to the false teaching that was going on there. And he finishes uh, verse 14 by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then he goes on in verse 15. Rather, rather than that, rather than being carried away in a bunch of crazy beliefs, rather speaking the truth in love, where, so this is the first time here in, in this chapter he's really talking about truth. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working, each part of what? Each part of the body of Christ. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that, so that it builds itself up in love. So we need to have unity in the faith, unity in our faith, unity in what we believe, unity in the essentials of the Christian faith. We need to have a correct knowledge of the Son. We have to, we're going to grow and we're going to mature and we're going to build up the body in love. That's what Paul says. <clears throat> and then jump into the text for today. In verse 17, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to believers in Ephesus. But he says, No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Don't, no longer walk as the unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. And this word now that is in uh, the ESV translation, which is up there, it's also translated so in the NASB, or it's translated therefore um, in the King James Version. And so that pushes us back to that previous thought that, that we just talked about. So he's saying because you, you've been equipped properly, because you've been taught solid doctrine, because you're, 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 you're being taught the truth and have been taught the truth about Christ, because of all of that, don't walk like they do. Don't walk like the unbelievers do. Don't walk like the Gentiles do. He, he, he says, you've, you've lived in Christ for a while now. Now act like you have lived in Christ for a while. You know the truth, so act like you know the truth. You see a picture up on the screen. You should see a picture up on the Yeah. So that's my, my son, um, my youngest son. This was when he was about 11 years old. And we love football, right? And so... And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mention anything about yesterday, but, but thank you. So anyway, this was a game we were playing up in Harris County. He was about 11 years old, and we were playing in the middle school in Harris County, and we were on the way to the game, and I was coaching him. And I said, uh, I, I, as we're driving up to the game, he said to me, he said, if I score a touchdown today, I'm going to do something crazy in the end zone. And I said, no, 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 no. About two or three minutes later, he said, yeah, Daddy, if I score, I'm doing something crazy. I'm like, do not do that. So five minutes probably into the game, he played fullback. Five minutes into the game, we were on about the 50-yard line, and we just ran a little dive play up the middle, and all of a sudden, here he goes. He's, he's at about the 20-yard line, gets to about the 15-yard line, and there's a kid from, I can't even remember who we were playing. There's a kid chasing him, and Will holds the ball out, taunting the kid in his face, high steps into the end zone and then does that in the end zone. And I am on the sideline mortified that my kid just did that. And so the referee 
walks with him over to the sideline, and when Will got to, kind of got to where we were seeing eye to eye, he just kind of turned away from me and just went and sat on the bench. Because I told him, you're gonna, your little tail's going to be on the bench if you do something crazy. The referee looks at me and says, I told him if he did it again, I was going to throw him out. And so I walked over to him, because I'm full of grace, and I grabbed his face mask. Y'all, if you ever played football, you know a face mask is really a handlebar for a coach. So I grabbed his face mask and I said, dude, you've been taught right. You've been taught how to act. You've been taught how to behave on a football field. Act like you know how to do this. I said, act like you've been in the end zone before. Don't act like that. Don't do that again. And so that's what Paul is telling these people. You know right. Go act like you know right. So he goes on in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. So who's he talking about? He's talking to believers, but he's talking now about the Gentiles. He's talking about the unbelievers. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so Paul uses some kind of interesting language in verse 19, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It is like craving language. That's what that word kind of means. They just got to have it. It's craving language, like I'm starved for this. I, I need them. What is them? Them is every kind of impurity. That's what he's talking about. It's like I've given myself up to that. These are folks who have become slaves, total slaves to their desires. It is like the guy that just can't say no to porn. It is more than lust. It is a total escape from reality. It is like I got to have it. It's like maybe it gives them some sense of, of control or security. It's just they have to have it. It may be turning to, to drugs or alcohol, and, and, and there are certain drugs that, that, uh, that give you this euphoric feeling for a few hours, and then when you come down off of that, um, it's worse, your feelings are worse than they were before, and the only way to get those feelings back up again is to do more of it. That's the insidious nature of drugs, what they do to the brain. And so these people, that's the language that Paul uses. It's they just have got a habit. It's more than just a, a desire for, uh, for a beer. It is you crave the feelings and the security and the safety or even the control that you think that is going to give you. It is anything that you just have to have. You have to have it to, or you feel like life is just miserable. For some people, it is the security of money. The thought of not being financially secure produces insane anxiety in your heart. So you save and you stress and you're stingy because a bunch of money is what you feel like has to be there for you to feel safe and secure. You just can't get enough of it. You're hoarding it away and you just can't get enough of it. You've got to have it. Y'all, that's the condition of people who are far from God. That's the condition of people who are apart from the Lord. They have greedy, craving hearts. So where does, that, where does that craving come from? Look back at verse 18. should still be on the screen. Um, verse 18 says that they're that way because they're alienated from God. Those cravings fill us up because we're not filled with God. Something's going to fill that hole in, in your heart. And so they're filling it up with something other than the Lord. Something is missing 
in our life rather than filling that void with God. Something is there. Logical next question that would come from that is, where does that alienation come from? Why is that alienation there? Look back at verse 18. It continues on that we are or can be alienated from him because we're ignorant of him. Not stupid. That's not what I'm saying. Ignorant of him. We can't, we can't see his beauty. We can't sense his presence. We can't sense his glory or, or his majesty or his love. And Paul had just kind of spent the first three chapters of, of Ephesians talking about his love. He talks about the immeasurable greatness of his love. He talks about the, the, the ginormous aspect of his grace. And so these folks that Paul is talking about are ignorant, not stupid. They're ignorant of the fact that only the Lord can completely satisfy any craving, any thirst, any hunger, whatever depression, anxiety, any mental illness, anything. The Lord can fill that and satisfy that hunger. We're ignorant of Him. We, we, we don't even know that that is what He created us for and what we're missing. There's one more question that verse 18 speaks to. That ignorance that I'm talking about, it didn't just happen. It didn't just all of a sudden show up. It has a source. So what caused that? What caused that ignorance that caused the alienation from the Lord? Look at, look at the rest of verse 18. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. It's not an intellectual thing. It is a heart issue. It's a hard heart. A hard heart causes ignorance of God. It's not that God has left the building. He's not Elvis. It's that their hearts were too hard to see Him. Does that make sense? It's a heart issue, y'all. It's not an intellectual issue. For some of us, even though um, His glory is all around us, we don't even know it. We can't sense it or we can't feel it because our hearts are too hard and dead and our spiritual eyes are blind. Paul talked in Ephesians chapter 1 or 2 about the spiritual eyes being opened. Y'all, it has been always for me super hard to understand how, um, how two people, and let's say two super smart people, can look at the same set of evidence two super smart people look at the same set of evidence as to whether God exists or doesn't exist and come up with two radically, completely different conclusions. And you may be a student today and you may have a professor who you respect and they're super crazy smart and that professor says that the very best evidence is that God does not exist. And then other people that you know and respect and that are very smart, they, they see God in everything. Which one is smarter? I would tell you that which one is smarter has nothing to do with it. And now the truth is I could go on and on and on and on about the evidence for God's existence and trust me, I would love to do that for the next two hours. That's just not where we, where we are today. So again, which one is smarter has nothing to do with it. It's not about the quality of the evidence. It is not an intellectual exercise. It is, it is a heart thing, which it doesn't mean that faith should be stupid faith. That's not what I'm saying because the evidence is overwhelming. And again, we could be here for three hours talking about that. 
but it's not about the quality of the evidence. It's about the condition of our hearts. Y'all, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. The same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. In other words, the difference is not in the sun that shines on the stuff. It's the makeup of the stuff that the sun shines on. Does that make sense? Look, the truth is the truth. And often, very often, there's a hatred for the truth. There's a fear of the truth. I had a friend Monday night. Monday night, we're out in the streets with M2540. And I have a friend who is struggling through some really, really strong cravings. Real struggle. I'm talking about real life struggle. And I asked him, how much can I push you? How much are you going to let me push you before I run you off? And here's what he said to me. He said, even if I don't want to hear the truth, I need to hear the truth. He said, and it hurts sometimes. But he said, you have my permission to speak the truth as hard as you want to speak the truth. And the Bible says that, that sometimes, maybe even often, that we suppress the truth. Sometimes we willingly exchange the truth for a lie. Is that what it says? Well, it doesn't say we exchange truth just for any old lie, but Romans one twenty five says that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. We see God not as He is, but maybe as who we want Him to be. We somehow in our mind create Him in our image instead of us being created in him in His image. And often we do that to justify our misbehavior. Did God really say not to do this or this? No, he really, that's not really what he said. We're creating him in an image that we want him to conform to. Sometimes we even just create this whole idea that he doesn't exist. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 20. Isaiah's talking about the man who, who doesn't acknowledge God, the man who doesn't believe in God, the atheist at the end of the day. Isaiah says of that man, he has a deluded heart, and it is the deluded heart that has led him astray. He doesn't say anything about his brain in this moment. He says a deluded heart has led him astray. You see, y'all, it's a heart issue. And the strangest thing happens when, when God softens up your heart a little bit. And when you, he, he opens your heart and your mind up to him, you suddenly start to see him everywhere. And the skeptic looks around and, and says, I can't see God. And some of us would look and say, oh my Lord, how can you not see God in that? Look, the truth of the matter is, we just had our first grandbaby born three weeks, three weeks ago, right? Three weeks ago. How can you see the birth of a child and tell me that God doesn't exist? But the skeptic would look and say, well, you're just an animal, and that's just an animal reproducing another animal. Well, that's a hard heart that is speaking those words. And remember, Paul said this at the beginning of Ephesians. He said, we were all at one point dead in our trespasses and sins. Every believer in this room at some point was dead, not sick, dead in our trespasses and sins. And we lived the way the world lived. And we lived without God's presence in our life. But God loved us and He made us alive. In, we were dead and He made us alive in Christ. And so that's verses 20 and 21 of chapter 4 say we've heard and we've been taught the truth in Christ. 2, verse 22 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
Take off the old because you lived as the world, your former manner of life, and it's and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That word corrupt means rotten, decaying, stinking, filthy, nasty, rotting away. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. To put off the old Ed and to put on the new Ed. Y'all, when you take a shower, when you go in your bathroom, your nice big master bathroom, and you, and you take a shower, you don't put on the same clothes that you just took off before you got in the shower. If you did, you'll be can- you'd be canceling out the whole benefit of the shower. Y'all, I'm not going to put on some stinky blue jeans and a filthy t-shirt that I just had on, right? When I, when, when I clean the inside, I want the outside to match. Being spick and span on the inside and dirty on the outside wrecks the whole point of being cleansed. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're given a bloodbath. You are washed in the blood of the cross. You were cleansed from all of your sin. But what many of us do, many of us do, and y'all, when we do this, we wreak havoc across the community of faith. But what we do sometimes, what happens sometimes, is after, after we have been washed in the blood of Christ, we put them old nasty clothes back on. Y'all don't do that. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The Lord wants me and you to take off those old clothes because, guys, those old clothes don't fit with the new cleansing. Does that make sense? They don't. Don't put on them old nasty jeans. I think that's the title of the message if you look in the, in, in the, in the worship guide. Now keep in mind these verses, 17 through 24, chapter 4, 17 through 24, Paul gives a general statement. All of those seven or eight verses are a general statement. And the general statement is this, Christians are to be different. Not perfect, for God's sake, I'm not saying that. Not perfect, We're, we should be different. We should not walk as the Gentiles walk, verse 17. You don't walk in blindness and darkness and, and hardness of heart. So this has been a 21-minute introduction to the idea that a new life, new clothes, being a new creation, being alive in Christ, uh, being born again, say it however you want to say it, but being a Christian demands a new walk. It demands a new lifestyle. So he makes that general statement uh, based on who he says you are. Spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians telling us who we are in Christ. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he kind of tells you how that ought to walk itself out in life. You put off the old, you put on the new. And then he gets super specific in verse 25. And from now, from, from verse 25 on to the end, the end of the chapter, maybe even to the end of the book, um, it's a matter of very specific things. And so this is where we need to flip our on switch. General statement in verses 17 through 24 and then gets very specific in verse 25. And the first thing he does is this. He makes this general fact of changing from, uh, from this old lifestyle to this new one very specific. And he gives us about five areas where the change needs to take place. Maybe better said, uh, not a change, but an exchange. We exchange something for something else. Just like we exchange this old lifestyle for this new lifestyle. And so he makes five of these. And I'm probably only going to get through the first one today. But this first one is that you exchange lying for speaking the truth. 
He mentions the truth in verse 15, and then again in verse 21, and then again in verse 25. And if you look at verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, having put away the lies, in other words, since it's generally true that we've taken off the old and put on the new because we're a new creation, first thing, we're going to put away the falsehood, the lies. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8. Y'all hang with me because this is kind of a tough uh, verse. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, what they get, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. That's pretty black and white, y'all. Liars end up in hell. That's what the text says. But the inverse of that is also true. People going to heaven are not what? People that are going to heaven are not liars. Now, of course, that's why I said hang with me. Of course, there are times when we sin. There are times when we fail. But there is no way that you can look at my life and see a constant flow of lies, a constant life of dishonesty, a constant life of deception, a way that you would look at me and say, that joker, all he does is lie. You cannot look at me and that be the evidence and have any biblical basis for saying that I'm a Christian. There's a whole wing in the hell motel for liars. And, and, and so am I saying that if you lie, you're going to hell, that you're not a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that if your life or my life is perpetually filled with one lie after the next, and I live a life of dishonesty, and, I, and by, by the by very character and all the evidence that you see is just one big lie, if you can't deal rightly with the truth, if that's the case, I would say you need to check the man in the mirror. If that's the case, no matter what you claim, no matter how religious you are, no matter how many boxes you check, no matter how many outreaches you go out on in the streets and the highways and the byways and feed the homeless, no matter how much that you do, no, how many, no matter how many Sundays you come to church, no matter any of that stuff, you need to check yourself because there's a disconnect between what the Lord says, put off the old and put on the new. There's a disconnect there. And it's so crazy And if you really think about it, it's not crazy because Satan is the prince of this world. But one of the main things we see when we look out into the world is in the lifestyle is lying. It's like the whole world system is built on on lying as a basis. But we as believers ought to be different. Not perfect, not perfect, but different. The world, they're not different, but we need to be different. Lying seems to be everything in the world. And the deal is this. Lawyers lie, and doctors lie, and preachers lie, and salesmen lie, and secretaries lie, and bosses lie, and advertisers lie, and the government lies, and politicians lie, and, and, and everybody is just lying. Nobody has to tell the truth because it doesn't seem like it works that way. It is built on lies because Satan is the prince of this world. The whole system would collapse if everybody had to tell the truth. People do what's expedient, and lying seems to be expedient. It's crazy. It's an entire way of life. And the truth is, it is a manifestation of a depraved heart. It's it's the way a, 
a sinful, depraved heart plays itself out, out in the world. And it lies because it is of its father, the devil, who is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. The word Paul uses in Ephesians 4 for the devil is diabolos. And that means slanderer. He's a slanderer. And that is he is running around the world slandering you and getting you, deceiving you into slandering somebody else and lying and deceiving. That is what he does. He's a deceiver that seeks to create chaos. He's a deceiver who seeks to divide. That is what he's, he's deceptive because he is all over this world doing that. And I want to preface this illustration with, with my wife Susan is very low maintenance. Very low maintenance. Super low maintenance. You are super low maintenance. She is an incredibly prudent shopper. As a matter of fact, the last dress that she bought, and I can't remember what it was for, I think it was for one of the Overcomer um, premieres, but it cost 14 It was a beautiful dress. It cost $14 at TJ Maxx. Was it at TJ Maxx? Ross. It was at Ross. $14. Beautiful dress. But one time, some years ago, um, she bought a very expensive dress, and it was too was beautiful. I don't understand the delta between what that one cost and the $14 one, but it was a beautiful dress. She brought it home, and when I got home from work, I, I looked at it, and I'm like, I figured out how much it cost, and I'm like, mm, how could you spend that much money on a dress? Like, we can't afford spending that much money on a dress. And she looked at me, and she said, but honey, you just don't understand. The devil made me do it. <laughs> uh, she said, I tried it on, and he just said, girl... You are looking good in that dress. That is you all over. You've got to have that dress. And so I, of course, I said to her, why didn't you turn around to him and say, get behind me, Satan? And she looked at me and she said, I did tell him that. And he went behind me and said, it looked good from there too. <laughs> My point is that he is, he is everywhere. This, this is his domain, right? This world is his domain and trust me, man, he has a good argument for every argument you got. And he is going to deceive you and, and, and try to drive you down a crooked road in every situation you come along. Every, truth is, every religious system, apart from the truth of Christianity, is a pack of lies. A pile of lies. Lies, lies, and more lies. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, atheism... And don't let anybody tell you that atheism is not a religious system because it is, because it seeks to provide, provide answers. It is a religious system. They're all a pile of lies. And, they, and Satan has created, the devil has created all of those. He lies about life and he lies about death and he lies about the Father and he lies about the Son and he lies about the Holy Spirit. He lies about good and he lies about bad. He lies about the Bible. He lies about heaven and he lies about hell. He lies about everything. And when he develops a religious system, y'all, he throws in just a little bit of truth to make it taste better. Like all roads lead to heaven. All roads don't lead to heaven. Y'all, the Christian faith is exclusive, but it's available to everybody. That's weird. It is exclusive, but it's available to everybody. Listen, John chapter 11. And this is outside of my notes, which means I need my glasses. John chapter 11. Jesus is talking to Martha. And he says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That's like, what does that mean? 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And you hear that verse quoted a lot, right? But what you don't hardly ever hear quoted is the very next words that Jesus said. He said that to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The very next words say, do you believe this? So my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Because it's really real. And that is the truth claim that Christianity makes. Any other religious system, any other world religion does not make that claim, y'all. They're all a pack of lies and then suddenly the Lord comes into your life. And the Bible says that God is truth and that God is true and that He is real. Really real. Not some preacher speak. He is really real. And Christ walks up and He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. And He's called the Spirit of Truth who will guide you into all truth in John 16. The Word of God is called the truth in John 17. In fact, Jesus Himself in John 18 tells us why He came into the world. John 18, 37 says He came into the world to bear witness to the truth. So all of a sudden when you're saved, when you become a Christian, you step out and you're empowered to step out of the world in the domain of lies and step into an environment of truth. The true gospel, the true God, redeemed by the true Savior, indwelt by the true Spirit, holding on to the true Word and living that out in a true kind of life. And so when a believer opens up his mouth, Ephesians chapter 4 says, we ought to be speaking the truth. We believe in the truth. And if we believe in the truth, then lying's got to go. And Paul gives us the reason for this. Also in verse uh, 25, look at it again. Therefore, having put away the falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We're members one of another. We're talking about the body of Christ. In context, Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. He's talking to the believers in Ephesus. Don't forget that much of these first chapters of Ephesians are intended to remind the folks in Ephesus that there is no Jew or Greek. There is no black or white. There is no rich or poor. They are one in Christ. Major theme in Ephesians, we are all, as believers, one in Christ. So we're talking about unity here. And if we're running around lying to each other all of the time and not telling the truth and not being transparent with each other, if we're doing that, we're going to wreck the unity and the fellowship and the body that the Lord wants for us. Constant lying destroys the way the body is supposed to function. He sets up the way the body is supposed to function. Okay, so, and this may be a bad analogy. I don't think it is. Just hang with me. What if your brain started lying to you? What if your brain switched the signals on hot and cold? My brain says, I know better than everything, and I'm going to make hot, cold, and cold hot. I'm going to switch those two. You know what happened the next time you took a shower? You'd fry yourself. You want a hot cup of java tomorrow morning and you're trying to get it hot enough and you and hotter and hot, hotter and, and your brain is telling you that it's cold, you'd, you'd burn out your throat and your tongue and your mouth. What if your eye decided to deceive you a little bit next time you got in the car and you drove somewhere 
and your eyes said, I think I'll just shade the truth a little bit. You're on County Line Road, right at the, between Muskogee and Harris County, real curvy road. And your, and your eyes told your brain, there's really not a curve in front of you. There's really not an 18-wheeler passing in the other lane coming across the top of the hill. How would that all work out? Me and you are dependent on the honesty of our body, the systems and, the, and, 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 and our organs all working together and being honest with each other. Now, the body of Christ can't go around shading the truth with each other or we're not going to function right. How can we uh, serve each other? How can we bear each other's burdens, y'all? How can we care for each other? How can we love each other if we're not honest and transparent with each other? We have a a, a component of our men's ministry here called Route 1520 that Richard uh, Moore leads. And he's been leading that ministry for, I don't know, six or seven years. And that is a group of men that come together and they are, and it's a, sort, of an, a, sort of an addiction recovery-ish sort of ministry, but they're honest with each other. They bear each other's burdens. They are transparent with each other. They're an image of the body of Christ working together as, as they should work together. And it doesn't work, y'all, if we're not honest with each other. So speak the truth. You exchanged lying for speaking the truth when you became a new creation. It's the first thing you put away, Paul says. And we're going to talk about the other four things next week. But here's a warning. True, straight up warning. I want you to know that the deceiver is real. That spiritual warfare is real. It's not some dumb movie at the movie theater. Spiritual warfare is is real. And that deceiver is running around and he's trying to get you to put them nasty blue jeans back on. Don't put them on. You just got out the shower. Don't put them on. He is a liar, y'all. He's a liar. And he wants to steer you down a crooked path. Think about this. During the Civil War, it was legal for a man who wanted to stay out of the army in the north to pay somebody to take his place, to satisfy his, uh, what would you call it, his draft obligations. A man could actually buy another man to go to war for him. So there was a man, Mr. Johnson, who made a deal with a guy and he paid the guy named Mr. Allen to fight a battle for him in the Civil War. Mr. Allen was killed and Mr. Johnson was redrafted. Johnson paid Allen to go fight for him. Allen was killed. Johnson gets redrafted. And Mr. Johnson took that agreement, that contract between him and Mr. Allen, to the Union Draft Board, and he told them that this second draft was invalid and was ineffective because he uh, had had died in Mr. Allen's death who had gone to war for him. And so when Satan comes to redraft you into your old life, when Satan is talking in your ear, And he says, them jeans aren't dirty. Put them jeans back on. They're not dirty. You don't need to wash them. They're not dirty. When he does that, because he's going to do it. Y'all, he's going to do it. He does it every time. And so when he he tries to draft you into that old life, when he he wants to recall you to your old way of thinking, your, your, your old way of talking, your old way of acting, your old way of doing, bust out your contract, man. Show him your Jesus card. I got it somewhere. I got a Susan, is my Jesus card in your purse? Look, you got a Jesus card. You are saved. 
the blood on that cross that was shed for you, it saved you from that. Look, the Bible says He put your sin as far as the east is from the west. You know what that means? It can't get any further than that. And so when the Lord looks at you and you've been credited with righteousness, He doesn't see all that junk anymore, man. He sees this white robe of Christ. You've been washed in that blood. And so when He says that to you, and He's going to say it, you just tell Him that your debt's already been dealt with. You say, Mr. Devil, Jesus Christ already, He died in my place. You can't redraft me to that old life again. I'm not putting them nasty jeans on. That's what you need to tell Him. Because my payment has already been paid. And a payment's got to be made. The sin can't go unpunished. It can't. God wouldn't be just if the sin was unpunished. But the debt's been satisfied 2,000 years ago on that cross. And so here's what I would say to you this morning. If, if you have never rested in the satisfaction of the debt that has been paid, in other words, if you've never said yes to that offer, I said a little while ago, the Christian walk is exclusive, but it's available to everyone. And if you have never said yes to that offer, yes to the offer to remove those dirty clothes and put some clean ones on today, let today be the day that you do that. And I know there are people in here that you walked in here, in here this morning you said, God, you got one last chance. You might have walked in here and said, God, you don't even exist. I don't know. Both are lies from hell. And so I know there are people that walked in here today that way. And I, I, I would ask you to consider today to consider saying yes to that offer. And if that is you, it's not a difficult deal. I repent. I repent of my sins. It's a component of it. I used to look at sin from my perspective and repentance is I step over here and I look at sin from God's perspective. So I repent, I turn, and I believe. What is it that I believe? I believe that that death on that cross paid for my sins, satisfied that debt, and saved me. And so if y'all would close your eyes, bow your heads, and if that is you, I want you to just pray this little prayer. Out loud or quiet or whatever, however you want to do it. Lord, today is the day that I do want to take those old clothes off and I want to put your robe on. Lord, today is the day that I, that I will repent of my sin and I invite you to live inside of me and provide an eternal life for me with you. Today is that day. And if you say that, if you believe that, it can't just be words. If you believe that, He will save you right here and right now. He will save you. The heavens are opening up. And I think God is smiling down because another lost sheep has come home. That is why we do what we do.